All right, excited to jump into uh, this episode today. It's brought to you by MW Therapy. They deliver a modern all-in-one outpatient EMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automations, and billing features you want at a value you deserve. MWTherapy.com is where you can find out more. Uh, Owens Recovery Science, that's your single source for PTs who want to add personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training to your clinical practice. Get certified at Owens Recovery Science. Com and Jackson Therapy Partners, providing awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. Find them at jacksontherapy.com. Pumped about this episode. It's a little bit personal. If you follow us on the socials, you know a few months ago I sort of challenged, I don't know, myself, people listening to us, uh, organizations, academies in the APTA, to do something a little different at CSM this year. And it looks like we're going to be doing that. It's on. Uh, we've rented out the new museum. It's the San Diego Children's Museum. Just a stone's throw from CSM. And the idea is we're throwing an event to do that thing that the APTA mantra says that our profession is here to do, which is transform society. There's some other words after that, but transform society are the ones that I sort of latched on to. And the event, we're calling it Party with a Purpose. Uh, when you get inside, you're going to have yourself some drinks. I made sure there were drinks, uh, food, entertainment. We've got a band, a comedian coming in, all wrapped up into a children's museum environment. We wanted that move and touch and play feel for the party. And uh, the three title sponsors for that event, without them, we would not be able to, to have it, to, 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 to fund it, to get the drinks and the food and the, and the space, uh, are the Academy of Leadership and Innovation, the Academy of Geriatric Physical Therapy, and the ATI Foundation. And so we're bringing some people from those organizations on the show to talk about the event, why they jumped into it, and some other things, as I always do, have different side conversations. So we get to talk to uh, Chuck Thigpen today. Chuck, uh, no stranger to the, the program. Chuck has been on the show before, works with, uh, with ATI, and of course, the ATI Foundation being connected there. They are one of our title sponsors. Chuck's the Senior Vice President of Clinical Excellence, oversees how Claire, care is delivered at ATI. He's got a cool background, research guy, clinician, and now sort of trying to see one, do one, teach one, as you'll find out, at scale. How do you do that with several thousand PTs spread across hundreds of locations? We get into some of that and why data is so important and what they're doing with it. It might be familiar to you if you were a PT student recently, but how do you use some of the things that you're doing, learning, not doing well, so that you can do and learn and do better later on. So we dig into that, plus talk a little bit more about why ATI decided to write a big old check to help us fund Party with a Purpose. Uh, that's in today's episode. These the best conversations happen at happy hour. Well, thanks for coming to ours. I do actually have a story about that, is that one of my first big interviews was with a band. This was in the 90s. So I'm going to say a big band. And then half the audience is going to go, I've never heard of that band. Um, it was the band uh, Stained. And they were like a you know decent size. I mean, I thought they were, they were pretty Aaron. big then. Aaron Lewis. And I waited outside this place called the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, which was like, you know, a big cinder block box that had ice skating one day and a dog show the next and a rock concert on Friday. And I waited outside there in the dead of winter with a little Sony mini disc recorder, which was a piece of technology that existed for like four seconds and then didn't exist anymore. Yeah. But because it was upstate New York in the dead of winter, 
my rechargeable batteries were just getting crushed and I didn't know it. So five minutes into the interview, I looked down just to make sure the counter is still going and it, the entire screen is dead. So you have two choices. Like you admit it because if you don't admit it, you're going to get 30 more minutes of nothing except a cool conversation that you can't share with anybody. Or you got to look like you got to bite the bullet and look like an idiot and go, excuse me, whatever. So I bit the bullet, bullet looked like an idiot. Aaron Lewis was one of the biggest rock stars on the planet, in my opinion, on that time. He was like too, super chill about it. His He turned to his guitar tech and was like, can you just get him? What do you need? Like just double A batteries? I was like, yeah, it was because of the cold. His guitar tech was a total jerk. He wound up dressing down his guitar tech. He's like, dude, this kid's hustling. It's cold. His batteries died. You've been there. Why are you being a jerk? So anyway, I tell this story to start today's episode because technology is great when it works. Sure. For sure. Well, it's a little little links an issue, but I'm glad we got it worked out this morning. Yeah. Chuck, welcome to the program. Um, I want to start out with thank you. I mean, and I usually say thank you to, to all my guests because like time's valuable and their insight. I can't really get their insight unless they give me time. I want to start off by saying thank you because we had a conversation like, I don't know, two months ago or you know maybe not even two months ago where I was sort of on a Jimmy rant or a Jimmy whatever, a crusade. And I was like, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to, you know, stay tuned. And you sort of DM'd me on Twitter and was like, hey, man, I don't really know what you're talking about because you're being sort of vague or whatever. But like, like when you have your details, like, you know, send me a message. Let's talk about this. And I did. And as we sit here and record in early February, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be at CSM. The crazy little crusade I was on is actually going to happen in the form of a party. And ATI, whom with you work, are our major title sponsor. And it came about because of a random, you know, <clears throat> march of my thumbs ac across Twitter. So thanks for marching that to all the different people that you probably had to get to, to say yes and to agree to this, um, because that's a big deal. Because without that connection and idea, this thing wouldn't be happening. No, it, look, I, it's, uh, I'm super excited. I, I appreciate, you know, Twitter most days. I just want to turn it off and mute it. But I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think there are some good things. I think this is one of those things that made a really easy way to reach out. I appreciate you uh, challenging the profession to think a little differently. And I think, you know, our where we are at ATI is, you know, we've had a foundation a long time that is focused on helping our communities. And this is right down that alley. And so I think we're excited to kind of uh, be a part of the event. Uh, it's a super cool venue at the uh, at the aquarium. So I'm, I'm excited just to yeah. see the... Uh, other partners. And it's just a different way, I think, to think about our profession and kind of what we're bringing uh, to folks. So we're excited to partner with you to, to, to do it for the first time and hope it'll be the, uh, the inaugural of many. Well, I think I said that too, when I was talking to, cause I had to talk, you got to talk to a hundred people to get three to say yes. Right. I and mean, that's just, that's just how stuff works. And I think I said that, you know, part of my pitch and I think I, I think my pitch was good because like I meant it right. I I'm I said this is going to be party with a purpose one or party with a purpose. And by the way, this is the first time I'm actually podcasting about it. I've sort of tweeted about it a few times, but I was waiting for a moment like this to actually mention it. So we're throwing a party on Friday night at CSM. It is at the new museum, which is the, you know, I, I call it the say it's a San Diego Children's Museum. They call it the, right. the official name. They've told me the PR people call it the new museum. It is a pitching wedge away from the conference center, from the convention center where CSM is. And I sort of challenged myself and everybody in saying just what you said, which is 
If we say we want to transform society and we get together and we learn and connect all those things, I am probably the biggest banner waiver of CSM that there is. Love it, right? I looked at it my first couple of times as, as a participant and said, what do we leave behind, right? Like, you know, some bar bills, some food tabs, a hotel, flights. These are all great things, right? Connections, education. These are all great things. I wanted to leave something tangible for the people or what could we do together? And there are other events, right? There are alumni events that do great things. There's Patrick Berner who does PT in the community. He actually goes out and picks something to, to physically do, which is amazing. And I'm like, you know, in my background of raising uh, money or, or putting people together and throwing concerts and things like that in radio, I was like, why is there no shindig that at the end of the night, there's a big, you know, comically sized check on stage that can go somewhere. So the structure of the event, just because the audience hasn't even heard of that, heard of this yet, the specifics. And I don't know if they know the behind the scenes, three title sponsors. So ATI Foundation, the Academy of Leadership and Innovation, and the Academy of Geriatrics all said, we will put down this money. We will fund this party. And I sort of structured it so that it couldn't fail. And I don't know if I told you this part. I knew we could only have 500 guests because that's what the place will allow, right? I knew that giving 100 tickets to each of the sponsors would give us 300. And then we'd have some minor sponsors who would give money to fund the party. They'd also get some tickets. So I knew by, by the first week in February, we were going to be able to say this thing was sold out before we get on a plane to San Diego. And the idea is the end of the night, each one of the title sponsors gets to say, hey, we raised funds for this nonprofit, for this nonprofit, for this nonprofit, but not just ATI, not just the Academy of Leadership Innovation, not just geriatrics, the people who came, right? Because you're going to invite up 99 other people, right, Chuck? And everybody else is going to invite, you know, and that's the idea is we want to transform society. So thanks for jumping in on that crazy idea. No, it, it's exciting. And I think it's one of the things is, uh, you know, I, one of the things that's kind of become a uh, consistent message that I've shared with our, our clinical teams is the gap between knowing and doing for PT is pretty big. Yeah. We like to know a lot of stuff. Uh, we're, we've got more letters behind our names and we go to courses, but uh, it's honestly doing is the hard part. So I, 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 this is exciting for me because I think it's a intentional way to take a step and go, we're going to go give back. And I think the way the ATI Foundation works is then we work with our local clinics in the communities to identify, uh, you know, groups and individuals in the communities where our clinics are, because that's who our clinicians care about, right? Like, it's not some headline. So I think we're really uh, excited to kind of reinvigorate and, and uh, really amp up the ATI Foundation as we uh, are kind of relaunching it. So it's perfect timing for us as we kind of are kicking off the ATI Foundation again. Well, get specific now. You know, we've talked about ATI and the ATI Foundation. When we're able to write a check at the end of the night, because you guys said, we'll sponsor the party, and then whatever funds are raised over that is going to go to the three different charity. Where does that go? Because we're going to raise money in San Diego, but that money is yep. going to go to people all over. Where does it go? Who does it help? How does it help them? Yeah, so, so we have a process with the ATI Foundation that our clinicians and clinics can say, hey, we've got a group, maybe a family, an individual, or a local uh, nonprofit that has a cause that we care about, that our clinics in the community care about. We submit those, uh, submit those to a group. 
and then we identify and we take the funds we have and then allocate it to that local market. So I don't know who those are. We'll have a list of that that we'll be able to go look. Here's the money that's raised. Shelly Maxwell, who you've been working with, yep. can, can share, hey, here's the money we raised at CSM. And here, here's where we, here's the communities we were able to allocate that to. And I, it's one of the things we're super excited about doing coming out of this event. I mean, I think, I think all you need to know is it's going to someone or, or some place that needs it. 100%. And, and, and I think for us, it's, it's the people that our clinicians are either caring for or know about in their community that, that are in need. And that's, that's always, you know, for me and, and when I think about service and, and giving back to our communities and building our communities. It's looking for those opportunities that you know are close to our hearts and close to our homes. Yeah, um, you have a statement that I want to throw out and see what you mean. I want to like sort of throw this out there. It's about a cheat code, and I don't know if I don't know if the average PT could understand this five six years ago, right? And the cheat code is collecting outcomes and and the data, right? And using the data is really the cheat code for improvement. And without a scoreboard, you don't you don't know how to play the same way. You don't you don't know what to do next or what to prepare for. So when I say that 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 line about you know collecting outcomes and using the data as a cheat code, how would you explain to that to a new clinician or a, a seasoned clinician who maybe is saying, okay, I'm understanding this now, but teach me like what what do you mean by that? Yeah. So uh, my role at ATI is I'm the uh, Senior Vice President of Clinical Excellence. I own the responsibility uh, with our clinicians and making sure they have the tools and development to take great care of patients, that we exceed patient outcomes and we get patients better. And I think it's a little bit back to my knowing and doing comment. Right. Uh, we, we Look, we know all kinds of stuff, man. We spend tons of time in school. We go to con ed courses and know and know and know, but do we actually get patients better? And so I think we've been collecting outcomes uh, at ATI since 2015 consistently uh, with our patients. And so about 70% of our patients have a beginning and end outcome. And so now over time, I can, for Jimmy, he's treating in our clinics and say, hey, Jimmy, here's all your low back pain patients. Here's where they started. Here's where they finished. And if now you get a sense of, well, relative for my patients, are they improving or not? And so I think to me, that proof in the pudding and, right. and I think it's a different place and a different way to think about of, well, where am I good at and where am I not? Because I think inherently, um, this isn't PT school anymore, where if you don't get an 80, you get kicked out or have right. to like go retake it. Um, these are like real patients, right? Like they need to get better. And so I think nobody shows up. Uh, I think about the Joe Madden shirt that used to be with the Cubs back in the 16. You know, he said, just don't suck. Um, it, it's a little bit, nobody shows up to suck. None right. of us do. But I think a little bit, we inherently know when we're not really good. And so what do we do? And I'll, I'll use me. I was a shoulder guy. Give me any shoulder you want to, but do not give me a back pain patient. Like right. not good. So what did I do? I just treated shoulders, right? And so I think really our thought with collecting outcomes and the reason it's the cheat code is at least the way we approach it. Every six months, our clinicians get a scorecard and you can see how you did. How did my patients over the last six months do? And right, am I getting better, same or worse? And then now we can work with uh, API Academy. Tom Denninger uh, leads our learning and development team that we have clinical development, leadership and professional development. But really, hey, where do you need to spend some time? And then, you know, whether it's an external course or internal courses to allow you to grow and then come alongside other experienced clinicians in that area. So you're incrementally improving. And I think 
uh, if you look at uh, improvement in medicine, hopefully that allows us to be using the best evidence sooner, but also like, am I actually doing it? And I think sometimes we, we know a lot of stuff and we have it in our heads, but actually translating that into the clinic, it doesn't happen. So I think we, we feel like using outcomes as our baseline and tracking our patient satisfaction allows us to see how are we actually impacting our patients. Let's go to the clinician when they know that they've got a scorecard coming. Cause now I've, you've mentioned, you know, this isn't PT school, this flashes back to PC, PT school and, and grades. Is that, <clears throat> is it stressful? Is it, I mean, how do you, how do you like it's tell people? Fa- it's been so fascinating. So, and, and I can't, I am remiss if I do this without thanking uh, Stephen Hunter and Gerard Brennan and the folks at Intermountain because at least from my knowledge, they've done this longer than anybody. And so I ask them, I'm like, hey, I'm going to show my clinicians their outcomes. What would you recommend? And just to your point, right, this isn't, we don't put up a scoreboard in every clinic right. and list it top to bottom because, right, I, I don't want to be on the bottom. It, and I think it's interesting, right? Some people want that. They're all about competing. But eat, what's funny is some of our best clinicians don't want anybody to know. Huh. They're like embarrassed that they're best. So I think we started by uh, just uh, uh, confidentially sharing that information. And then, but what happens is I'm like, hey, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> That's the way it was. So, right, everybody thing. knows, but it, it's interesting to watch the clinicians. And so now we've been doing this since 2018. Now folks are like, hey, when are the scorecards coming out? Really? And, and, and looking for it. So I think it's been a positive thing. Um, the other part is what we really encourage with our staff is we spend weekly time, our clinic directors spend with their staff talking about the patients they're seeing. And so it really should be a, um, a recurrent theme, right? And, and a rolling thunder with our clinicians of, hey, how are your patients doing today? What trends are you seeing? Where do you need help today? But also then to stop and reflect a little bit, go, okay, if I look back over the last bit of time, how are those patients doing? And now am I seeing an improvement time over time? So we're, we actually, uh, for the first time ever, we recognized our top 10 clinics uh, across the country this year. So, right, if I can know the clinicians, I can roll it up at a clinic level. We're able to recognize them, uh, give them some cool clinic swag and, and, and uh, you know, PTs like to eat. So there's nothing like a good uh, clinic lunch. So we, we were able to do that. And then uh, here pretty quick uh, in the next month or so, we'll recognize our top 100 clinicians. So now, right, if I've got a, uh, it's a risk adjusted outcome score. One of our team members, uh, Adam Lutz has published on this, but used it so that if, if you have all the hard patients and I have the easy patients, you get credit for having the hard patients. What's funny is, right, if you ask a PT, if you're you have a hard caseload, everybody raises their hand, but that's another discussion. But it allows us to know, hey, what, who are our top performing clinicians and recognize those? And, and we're really excited to do that. So you mentioned um, external courses or internal courses. So listen, if 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 I'm, uh, you know, middle of the pack or, or wherever I am in, in my scorecard, right, you're mentioning that the, the goal isn't just to rank people, right? Because if we're just ranking people or scoring people for no reason, then that's just, it feels fruitless. Um, if someone need, I mean, I, I imagine the first time I would hear about this, if this happened where I work, I would go into complete panic mode. Oh my God, where am I going to fall? What is this going to say about me as a person or me as a clinician? But it sounds as if you mentioned internal courses. It sounds as if you're saying, listen, we see, we can see where you might be, might be lacking, Let's talk about this and put together a plan 
for you to improve. So the next time the scorecard comes out, it's got some different information. You've improved in some areas. So talk about like, listen, let's say, uh, let's say Chuck is, you know, got his scorecard and he's crushing shoulders, but hips and knees. He's like, oh, you know, I'm not doing so well. Where does someone go? You mentioned internal courses. Like what, what's, what's the improvement like at ATI? Where do I go for extra help? Yeah. So we, uh, working with uh, Tom and the ATI Academy team, as well as the local leadership, put together an uh, individual development plan that really probably leverages three things. One is just who's the mentor in my clinic or in my area. That's the guy, right? Who's the guy or gal that I can go spend some time with. And so we'll find some time to do that. We, uh, for our new grads and early grads, we have, we have a structured mentoring program that when new grads come on, we've got our, what we call our ATI first 50. Here's what your first 50 days looks like. And then in that next six months after that, actually, you figure out how to look at the schedule, how to write a note, how to actually see it. And then we come a, come behind and have some of our clinical leaders spend time on the mentoring side. So that's sort of, um, I don't know, uh, in market. We have access to a, a large number of online stuff. It's crazy now, right? You can almost hear any speaker anytime go online and sort of, you consume at your own rate. Uh, and then we also do, um, because of our size, we're able to bring in courses to different regions. So, you know, we might be bringing in a, a known speaker to an area to do a course on, on that. And, and then the other is we have what we call our MSK certification program. And so um, our team worked to take our residency curriculum that we've done for, I don't know, probably 15 years or so, and sort of suck that down into an online program that you do with cohorts. So it allows you to have a group of people over a course of a year to sort of establish some best practices. How do you do that? And so you can enroll in that or a module of that course. And, and then of course, if there's something that doesn't fit, maybe you're a, have a specialty area, you're, you're wanting to be a pelvic health specialist and that's the area you're pursuing, we might need to look external to the organization and identify a plan there. So it sort of depends what the need is but it's really a, a, a co-developed plan, right? It, it's I always think about these goals. It's not my goal for Jimmy. Jimmy, do you, do you want to get patients better? Right. I don't think there's any therapist that shows up that's not trying to. Then how can we put a plan together to help you do that? It sounds exactly what we were taught in PT school, right? Is you, You're showing up here to get better as a patient. And it sounds like you're applying the data that you're able to get across. Well, I mean, how many locations are there? How many clinic sites does ATI have? Do you even know that? Yeah, we've got we've got over 900 uh, uh, clinics across the across the country. Um, you know, coast to coast, up and down. Uh, we we also have uh, we've got a whole team of therapists in our uh, virtual telehubs now, so we actually cover all 50 states virtually. Which is well, I'm older, so that's kind of a crazy thing for me, but. Uh, we're able to uh, provide that as well uh, across the state. So it's exciting to me to be able to empower our clinicians, uh, you know, almost 2,500 clinicians across the country to have that visibility. Because it's new to me. Look, health systems have done this very well in medical professions and learning health systems and all that. I think it's pretty new in our profession. I don't think we've we've really focused on the early career and getting out the gate. And then we just go to whatever random weekend course we want to. And not that it's bad. It, it's good. There's wonderful courses out there, but I think most of the time you just go back to the clinic and do what you did before. Right. Even you go learn something new, but does it actually carry through to the clinic? So I think we've really, uh, you know, Tom and the ATI Academy team's done a really nice job 
because uh, it's crazy. I, you'll appreciate this because you came from a, another profession into this. There's actual models of change management, right, Jimmy? That businesses do this all the time. And so I think we've tried to take and layer in some of these things that we know about change management and transferability and pull it through to do that. And we haven't perfected it. We're early on in the game, but we are excited that our clinicians know how our patients are doing and we're able to share that back with them and, and then, you know, come alongside them and, and develop a, a good plan to help help them improve as a clinician. Well, you guys partner with PT programs as well. You're focusing on what is the experience, right? I mean, I remember back in, in my radio days, it was, oh, you're the new guy. Uh, good luck, right? It was everything was trial by fire. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it forces you to learn stuff, but it, I bet you it probably weeded out some people who would have been better or great um, had they been given a more structured first 50, as you mentioned. Look, I, I think, I mean, it, it's apparent if, if it's not, um, we have a hiring crisis in PT, right? There are not enough PTs. Uh, recently, talking to leaders um, across the outpatient space, there's over 3,000 jobs available. And and regardless what the universities do, they can't graduate enough. And there's that's a whole other discussion of how to do that better. Acutely, what the profession has to do is keep more people in. And, and there's a number of those things. And I think, you know, for us, one of the things is if you really talk to new grads, they don't feel like they're equipped to really walk out the door and hit the ground running. So I think we've really tried to create an on-ramp to allow them to come in and take care of patients and feel good about that uh, with just day-to-day. And sometimes it's just super practical stuff like, hey, how do I manage a schedule and, and, and get through my day? How do I take care of patients, get my documentation done? I've got this authorization stuff, like what is that? I've never seen it before. Is just all the other stuff around that of helping people that have done it create uh, um, some good habits. And I think about me a little bit. I, I was terrible writing notes when I was in clinic full time. Awful, right? Because I'm older. Like I literally would have stacks of Manila folders that I needed to scribble in, which is just I'm sure made the compliance folks just shiver. Um, but I, I think what you know, one of the habits I had to break is I had to learn how to document on the computer while I treated the patient. And look, it's an art to it. I can't just go look over here and not talk to Jimmy and not have that conversation. No, I've got to stay engaged with Jimmy and I got to get my work done. And so you have to, that's a learned skill. There's probably not a course and it all depends on where you go to PT school. How do you learn how to do that? So I think there's super practical things like that we've pulled into the onboarding. And I think that's where sort of this first 50 and some of the mentoring really helps. And then overlying that we um we've really worked ellen shanley's on my team um long-standing physical therapist just wealth of knowledge if you ever want to know how to treat any patient just reach out to ellen she's treated them before uh, and can tell you about it um but she's done a great job of taking what we call our ati best practices and sort of going hey here's the best evidence we know here's some courses you can go look if you're wondering at some articles to read but here's sort of a general approach about how to think about this patient. So now, Chuck, let's go back to Chuck can't treat low back pain. I can go pull up an ATI best practice and says, in general, you ought to think about these things. Here's what active care looks like. Do this, don't do that, right? Some ditches. And then if I'm going to keep that patient, I got to take care of them. Here's some resources to go get, at least creating a repository for that. So I think what we're trying to help our clinicians be able to do 
because you, you can't be an expert in everything. Um, and especially young, when it's also overwhelming, just giving some tools to help along that clinical delivery side of both pra pragmatically, how do you get the work done and take care of the patients that are there? And then also, you know, feel like you're growing and thriving as you do that. It's amazing that it took, I don't know, you know, it, I feel like, I feel like onboarding or, you know, mentorship programs really started to get discussed or created, you know, like, like strong, really like thought out, not just used as a buzzword in the last few years. I mean, I graduated in 16 and I think that was the thing everybody talked about is look for a place with a mentorship program. And I think most people have said, I have one, they put it on their website, but what goes yeah. into it? And I sort of defended most of my classmates in PT school because I was a second career student. I was 10 years older than most of my classmates. And you had to look backwards that the education system in the United States every year, I graduated from ninth grade and then I went to 10th grade. I just, I showed up. It was assembly line. I was on it. I moved on. And then you get them to college four years and graduate school. And here's year one, two, three PT school. And then, Hey, good luck. They've, they, they learned in a model of I show up and I'm taught now. Now that's not, that's not a knock on them or the system. It's just when that's over, you've got a bunch of kids and I call them kids because they were 10 years younger than me. Like I was been used to for the last 25 years of my existence doing this. And then all of a sudden it's like, there's the computer, there's the bathroom, your first patient's in the lobby, good luck. And if there's no mindset, like, yeah, they might not, they, they might know a lot about anatomy, physiology and neuro and, and the brain, but it is the other things that can derail them because some of those things could knock them off their skates. Well, for sure. And I, I mean, uh, this goes down, a we go down a deep, dark rabbit hole, but A, wait till you're a few years ahead. I just, uh, I had a, a birthday with a zero on the end of it recently. So I've been, I've been doing this 25 years uh, and, and a little, little older now. So I think uh, they all look like babies. I go into the clinic, they're like, oh yeah, I was born in the 2000s. I'm like, oh yeah, I was already a clinician five years by then. But anyway, <laughs> that's a different discussion. But I think what, what I would say is to that point, if you layer that in with the most important things we do that get people better. So we talk a lot about therapeutic alliance and those things. If you can't do that, if I can't look you in the eye and engage with you and ask good questions and understand who you are as a patient and what you need, my chance of getting you to show up consistently to get better is probably nil, right? And so I think the, the, the challenge with it is, is how do we help our young clinicians See that and, and sort of I think of it the chaos that is the clinic. Look, every clinic every day, if you're busy at all, is a bunch of chaos because grandma's late and she can't get out of the car and the kids are sick and, and right, that's just the nature of life and the people that are in our clinics um, is to be able to kind of separate that out so I can look at Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, what do you need? Why are you here today? How, how can I help you? Um, so I think the other part that we're really trying to do a better job of is supporting the environment around our clinicians. And so part of, of my job working with our operations team and our facilities team and our back office team is how can we get that stuff out of the clinician's hair so that the clinician can do what only the clinician can do. And I think, you know, our hope is that allows us to solve a little bit of this attrition challenge that physical therapy has. Um, it's interesting. We don't exactly know how many people leave the profession every year but we set around 240,000 total licensed professionals. We're graduating 
twelve to thirteen thousand a year, but the number kind of stays the same. Like right. we're not we're not increasing by five percent every year. And so if you really look at the projected um, need for physical therapy as a population, and I'm just talking about MSK, not even the full scope of what we do as therapists, but just the MSK side with the aging population, the move to non-operative solutions. Um, you know, I, I would suggest there's a we're we're at a a dire urgency of may, maybe even emergency of raising red flags about hey two things how are we going to keep people in the profession and then how can we get more people to come do this because it's super impactful what we do for people every day uh, and we've just got to find ways to to do it more efficiently and and to take care of the patients and, and do the things that only you know us as physical therapists can deliver. Do you guys by chance track if someone if someone leaves ATI? Do you do you do you do you like exit? Like do you track that sort of data? Because you know, we know how much if you know anything about hiring, you know how expensive, you know, costly to find a person, never mind a good person, and then finding out why those people might leave. I'm interested, like, is it do you do you track those sort of things or our HR team is working hard to get a better system in place to understand that. Cause I think that's, we, you know, you think it's, Oh, cause I'm taking more money to go across the street. And and look, we're in a spot right now in PT. There's a whole lot of that. And look, I don't, anyway, that's just a phase right. of, of the profession of where we're at. Look, if I can go down the street and I get five, 10,000 more dollars for same work. Good on you. That phase is going to end because we're, we're, uh, so I'm old, right? Top Gun. We're going to get to the spot where Goose looks at Maverick and says, hey, we're going to be inverted. And he says, that ain't no good. Uh, we're headed towards that when we look at labor cost and reimbursement. It's just, it's coming. We're not quite there, but it's coming that literally I can't pay you anymore because the models don't work. And so I think that aside, um, what we see is uh, th there's some studies the APTA has released. Uh, that, that's on their website that really shows that um, the top reasons that people are leaving, one is people are moving. And especially as we, you know, we're probably on the cusp of this recession. Things aren't quite as rosy as they've been. Spouses are moving, changing jobs, significant others are moving. There's that. And then the stress side. So whatever we're in, in this new post-pandemic world, um, the level of anxiety that our medical professionals feel. And it's not just PT, right? If you look at overall medical professions sure. are declining and, and people in the workforce because of the stress side of it. So I think that's the uh, wellness side. I know, I know the APTA had an initiative with Hyperice and some others last year really around employee wellness and, and that stress. I don't, we don't have that solved. I think that's the thing that jumps to me. And I think it ties back actually to the point you were making of the new grads, right? So now, and I, I completely agree with the stereotype of the, the current learner in, in where they're exiting. They're not prepared to actually function. And now you've got this super stressful environment overlaid with whatever we're in in this post-pandemic world creates sort of this perfect storm of like, I just can't do that. Like I, like I literally, I can't do this um, mentally or physically. And so I think we see a lot of that. I don't have any great data other than there's some survey stuff that you know stress is cited as a is a reason so i think it's this sort of new place that we've got to learn how to function of how do we empower uh our clinicians to do their job better make sure they're equipped and then also begin to build some 
resiliency uh, in that group of the ability to cope and, and have good coping strategies to be able to take care of patients. Cause that's why people got into this, right? Like right. our, if, if I kind of boil it down, you go, Hey, how are you guys thinking about doing this? I think really where our team across the board is committed is how do we support our clinicians to remove barriers, develop you to take better care of patients? Because I think that in general, right? Most of us, if you, we do the personality test and the reason we got into this is because we want to help take care of people. Like that's the motivating piece, right? It ties back to our start of this discussion. Why are we doing party with a purpose? Because we like to help people. Like that's in our nature and who we are. So I think how do we remove those barriers and equip our clinicians better to go deliver that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had discussions on this show about reasons why people do things. And it, it came down to, I, I forget what the researcher's name was, but it was craft, cause, and community, right? So like craft is the thing you do. I want to be the best shoulder guy out there. That's my craft. I am this and I'm, I'm great at it. Cause is what's the outcome? Who am I doing this for? What's the purpose, right? It's to help keep pitchers on the field. It's to help older adults get up off the floor. And then community is like, who's doing this next to me? Who am I, who is mentoring me? And then 10 years from now, who am I mentoring? What does this feel like? And nobody goes into it for one of the reasons. It really is that Venn diagram. There's probably one you might gravitate towards or you feel more strongly about. But I feel like, you know, especially 15, 20 years ago, company was just like, I give you a paycheck. I give you health insurance. There's your table. Good luck. And I think things are changing. I mean, I think, I think organizations are saying people are our most valuable asset. No, for sure. Look, we've, we've um, well, again, I'm old, or uh, at least, and I've worked for a lot of different places. I've, I've ran small boutique practice and pretty much out of network cash base. I've worked in, you know, like university athletics. I've worked on site at industry and, and I've worked for small companies. I've worked now for one of the bigger companies. And I think that's what's changed over the time. And I think part of the, what to me, what you hit at is it's moving for, um, not just a transactional relationship, but paycheck, see patient, get paid, here's your benefits, but moving towards, and I like that, I have, I'll have to dig that up, uh, you know, craft cause and, and, and um, community are really good things because we're community people. Look, I, I would even push you, the reason we like to go to Con Ed courses isn't to learn, it's actually because we like being at courses with other PTs we don't know, but that's a, yeah. a whole other uh uh, a whole other uh, hypothesis, but I think it's really around how do we do that? And so I think, you know, for us, we're, we're doing things, uh, we're creating communities of practice to leverage 2,500 clinicians. You know, I've got, I don't know, 180 hand therapists across the country. How do I connect those hand therapists in a community? Uh, they have a, a regular monthly hand council call where the leaders from all the markets talk about what they're seeing. They, they do local labs and journal clubs. So I think we're trying to really not formalize it to make it a program, but to organize it to really create connections. Because it's a little bit of how do we thread the needle of exactly how you and I connected to push party for a purpose? Because right, we I think we've actually physically met twice. Right. So right, like we're always the like pretty consistent communication through social media and other stuff. How do we use that piece to connect and create, you know, some wikis, these these networks of excellence, if you will, within our clinics that allow our clinicians to build that community, to hone their craft, which then allows them to take care of patients, right? That's sort of the connection right. of those things. Right. I mean, it's, 
it, it, you, there's so many things I want to say. Yes. So how do you use, I mean, I can call my grandmother now at, with the flick of a, of a thumb now where that, you know, years ago it was like, well, it cost money. Like the barrier to, to be able to interact is, you know, virtually like as thin as the glass on your, on your smartphone. But how do you create those spaces where it's engaging, right? Because you and I are recording on Zoom right now. And like, we're having an engaging conversation. But if 50 people were watching, is that engagement, right? And it's how do you, how do you, I mean, this is what I do, right? Like I say the best conversations happen at happy hour. You and I are recording at 9 a.m. That's very unfortunate. Right. But how do you, how do you, how can you warm people up to have a great conversation? Because I don't want Chuck's talking points. I want to get those out of the way. So then Chuck forgets that we're recording and we're doing this. How can you do that with 150 hand therapists on a regular enough basis that they feel connected? It's not easy. Yeah. You know, I think the two things we're beginning to see is one, what's the problem right in front of my face? Right. Like what's the thing I have to solve today? And there's, there's somebody out there that has a solution and then creating an environment that it's okay to raise your hand. So I think it a little bit comes back to the data side. I think one of the things that, um, so Sharon Vitti is our new CEO. She's, uh, she's about nine months in now. She uh, came over from CBS, but she helped build and led the building of the CS, uh, CBS Minute Clinics and, and a whole network of nurse practitioners and primary care providers out in the community. And I think one of the things she's really emphasized with me and challenged me with is, how do we create a culture of improvement that 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 it's okay to go, hey, I don't know how to do this. Right. And I, I think she does that as a leader and it's sort of resonated down. And I think what my goal is with showing data in the scorecards is to create just that same environment. So I think that the two things, right? said, how do we engage? One is how do I create a place that people can go seek solutions for the problem that I have today? Look. I can't figure out how to make this, I'll just use hands. Uh, my hand therapist will laugh at me, but um, I don't know how to make a splint for this patient. Can somebody help me? And so it's almost like, you know, crowdsourcing for clinical knowledge. And then I think creating a safe space where people have either someone or a place they can go, hey, I don't know how to do this. And I think part of this, our intent with a scorecard, as well as the regular clinical review, that we're sort of um, challenging self-reflection of, hey, am I getting my people better? Um, you know, and am I following a consistent process, a good clinically uh, well-anchored um, evidence-based process to get people better? Or am I just making it up as I go? And I think a little bit of encouraging people back to those best practices, what we do know, allows to create, hey, it's actually okay. It's actually better if I raise my hand and go, hey, I don't know. And that's different than it from PT school, right? It's not really cool to raise your hand the day before the lab test and go, hey, I don't know how to do this technique or I don't understand why we're doing this. It's like, look, fake it till you make it. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't work in the clinic because you know, and guess what? So do your patients, right? Because that's why we can't, that's why we don't clearly communicate with our patients. Hey, Jimmy, I know you've got a, a, a back problem here's what, how I think you can get better. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And this is the plan that we're going to do to get you better. Does that sound good to you? That's really uncomfortable because you're going to say, hey, when am I going to be better? 
And and now uh, I don't know. And 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 it leads into this spot that we're not as confident as we could be. Because the crazy thing is, you go, you know what, Jimmy? I haven't treated a lot of patients like you, but this is what I expect to see. I we're going to do this and this, and next time you come back, if you're getting better, then we're going to do this. And I think that's a good plan. Are you good? Yeah, I appreciate you being honest with me. That's great. Yeah. But I think our our impression, because right back in PT school, to say, hey, eh, I don't know, I'm not sure. We think we're going to get an F, and it's just it's a really interesting um, place. And heaven forbid we go. I don't know, but you know what? I've got Sam over here, and he's the best back therapist we have. Let me come ask him. So now, right? It actually creates an environment that you go, hey, you you don't have just Chuck. You've got Chuck and his whole team helping you get better, and that's a different place. I think it's a place for the profession to grow, um, as opposed to it's me, Chuck, and I've got my Superman. Right. I put my Superman cape right. on. I get everybody better. Just a different place to be. Yeah. Well, I imagine that also also requires you to turn um, a clinician into a mentor. And that just doesn't mean that Chuck knows stuff. What Chuck knows, you have to understand, like how to spot when your colleague might be asking you for help or how you can offer help. Like these things are not easy. No, they're not. I, it's, you know, those are, that's sort of the other two legs. I think we think about clinical development. So the ATI Academy is really organized. Tom's really built this around clinical, professional, and leadership development. And actually what you're hitting on is more in the professional leadership development right. of how do you do that? And so I think it's one of the things, right? We always say, see one, do one, teach one, but do we actually practice that? And, and the reality is we don't usually create environments to do that. So it's really probably how we've tried to anchor, it's what we call caseload rounds, this weekly uh, interaction with our CDs and the clinicians around understanding, hey, how are your patients doing? They all have a plan. Are they getting better or not getting better? And the ones that aren't getting better, what are we going to do different, right? And, and really uh, creating that culture of having those discussions uh, at a clinic level. And then, you know, really my charge with Tom and our other leaders is to put a process in place to make that easier. I can't, I'd love to go sit with all 730 something of our CDs and set aside and do that. That's not really, I, that's impossible, right? But what I can do is help create processes and systems to empower, empower them to deliver for our patients. Because right today, everywhere across the country, we've got patients showing up with, with a reason that they need to see someone. Is that where, <clears throat> when was it that like PTs started to become like clinic franchises or whatever? That was like the 90s, right? Or, or... Yeah, I mean, well, gosh. I, so yeah, probably late 90s. I mean, the first that I, I recall was Help South was kind of the first kind of big entity. Uh, I, my first job was with the physio, uh, physiotherapy associates group that uh, was, I think, held by Stryker for a while. And I forget they've sold a couple of times. And I think it's just a nature of as it has come along, um, if you look at the other ancillary health providers, pharmacy, dentistry, ophthalmology that are sort of more out in the communities, you've seen the business world said, hey, if we consolidate that, we can right. deliver it more efficiently. And there's some advantages. And I think we're in a spot right now of we've got a handful of big platforms and big franchises trying to balance that with what does that care model look like? And then just with the turbulence in the health systems uh, and in the insurance systems, it's all changing. I, I think it's, it's pushed us 
it's not the fee for service where you get 140 bucks a visit every time and you just show up and do it. We're not in that spot anymore. And so I think we're in a really interesting spot where, you know, what can these other consolidated health systems and other professions teach us about how to really create a, a model of delivery for physical therapy that can really transform society. Yeah. I was almost going to say like back in the late nineties, when, 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 ancillary, you know, health services started to try to try and franchise like, well, this one works. So just copy paste and then and, and make it five and make it 10 because 10 is better than one. But you miss a lot of the things that you're talking about, which is how can I learn, right? How do I do these things at scale? You know, if Chuck is running seven clinics or he's overseeing seven clinics, he can go and visit everybody in those seven clinics. But when it becomes seven D a process. And that, that is not something we were taught in, in PT school no, or I, in biology. It's, you know, I, I think for me at least. So when I went back to grad school, I went to UNC and kind of learned about research and even being a PhD and what it was, I thought, Oh, if I go um, learn something about the shoulder at the time, scapula and posture was kind of what I was trying to figure out. I thought, Oh, if I can go solve that and maybe create a new nugget of knowledge and that'll help more people get better. And I said, hey, if I go teach at PT school and, you know, 30, 40 kids a year come through and I help them, I'm helping more people. And I think where, at least for me, I, I've moved to now is I'm actually more interested in how do I create these systems and processes right. to affect all of our clinicians. Because I think my, my really strong bias, we don't do the evidence we know, Jimmy. We've got really good principles, active care early care, yep. consistent care uh, is probably what gets people better. Not, and I'm not going to mention any modalities or what, but not whatever shiny object of the day. Right. And you it just, I've been around long enough. I've seen they come and go. Um, those processes are what get people better. So then I can use the shiny object for the really specific instance. And I think we usually get it the other way around. We try to be super specific from the beginning and, and, you know, very dialed in when actually we don't consistently follow processes. And this isn't from physical therapy. This is other uh, areas, you know, Alto Guande's uh, checklist manifesto calls this out in, in surgery and, and flight that consistently following a process reduces variation in process. And that this is Toyota manufacturing and lean Sigma six and all that stuff all the same stuff, right? And so where for me is how do I create consistent opportunities for my clinicians to follow a checklist so that they can use their super smart brains and knowledge on the stuff that I can't, that aren't process driven. And I think that's that's what, you know, when we think about our ATI best practices, uh, what Ellen's kind of pulled together is, hey, what's kind of a process I can follow to do that? And it's not perfect, it's not ours. We kind of use, uh, really smart people's learnings into our our language and ecosystem. Again, most of our clinicians are super young, right? If you kind of look at, it's almost, a, uh, if you look at some of the population and age data, it's almost a bimodal distribution. You've got a bunch of young people, and then you got people that are like me. There's not a lot of people in that seven to 15 year group, whole other discussion, where do they go? So how do I help my young clinicians develop that consistency faster. Our hope is that allows them to be more effective as a clinician, be more fulfilled, feel better about their craft, build community, that now I've got a longstanding uh, relationship and employee we've invested in 
that'll then be able to take care of our patients. I'm excited. Uh, I'm looking forward to party with a purpose. We on purpose called it that because I wanted people to understand we start with a party, but at the end, there's a purpose party with a purpose. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. If you do want to grab a ticket, there aren't many available because we sort of structured the party, as I mentioned before, to sort of be sold out before it went on sale. But there are a few. Uh, the night, you know, it's in a museum, drinks, food, just everything you'd expect from the, you know, the the Disney World or Cadillac experience to use a couple brand names there. Um, and we wanted it in, a, in, a, in an environment like a children's museum because we wanted move. You know, somebody, uh, I won't say who, but uh, somebody emailed me like, Hey, what's the, like, I got a ticket. What's the dress code here? What am I doing? And I said, you know, have fun. Don't be wearing a, you know, if you want to wear a ball gown, if that's comfortable for you, knock yourself out, but don't expect me to be wearing a tux. Um, We wanted the purpose to really be the star of the show. And we've got three great purposes. uh, And you can find out more about those at the website to grab your tickets. Chuck, last thing we do on the show is called the parting shot. Are you ready to do the parting shot? I'm ready. All right. It's brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org, where they have their industry-leading current concepts of orthopedic PT available for you right now. Uh, what's your mic drop moment? What's the thing you'd want to leave with the audience as we wrap up? You know, I, I think back to where we started. Um, I, I think what I would challenge us all is to stop knowing and let's do. Uh, I think the profession, I'm super excited what we can do in the profession. Uh, we know a lot. I think, you know, whether it's giving back to party through a purpose or every day with our patients, let's actually start doing what we know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need more information? Are you looking for information? Are you looking for permission? Um, For some reason, I feel like we stand on the sidelines and wait for permission. Here's the bet. Here's the, here's the secret life hack. You don't need it. It's not coming. You are, you have permission. Take what you know and apply it. But I did like, you know, to, to pair what you had just said there, it's okay to not be super specific and precise in the beginning. You're probably faking it. Somebody that knows. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Figure you're it's drive for show, putt for dough, right? I need you to get the ball. Just get closer to the pin. We'll get really precise as we get there. Uh Chuck, That's looking true. forward to CSM. Thanks for taking a leap and, and entrusting us with with throwing a party for uh, for the ATI Foundation. That's no, great. We're excited to do it and thanks for uh, putting us on. Look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. 
The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com. 